When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Every writer that you meet will have that one script. That one script that is their heart and soul that they love so very much that has not been discovered yet. That's what this podcast is all about. We find those scripts, these unbelievably original gems, and we bring them to life with a table read of professional actors. Welcome to Undiscovered Scripts, Movies Made of Paper. Welcome back, guys. Today we have a very special episode where we are interviewing the writer and creator of Out of Touch, Zachy Rubenstein. Hi, guys. I hope you enjoyed uh, this reading of Out of Touch. Uh, my name is Dove Mayer. I was the narrator for the production. I'm sitting here now with the writer, Zachy Rubenstein. Is it Rubenstein or Rubenstein? Uh, whatever you'd like. All right. <laughs> Let's go with Rubenstein for now. <laughs> sure. It's more famous, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So, Zachy, tell me, where did this concept, this idea come from? Um, actually, you know, it came from... Um, I had an idea for a romantic comedy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I was, I love romantic comedies. And I was thinking, you know, what is the thing about romantic comedies, the, the essence of them? The essence of them is that you have two people that are like perfect for each other. And there's some kind of obstacle, right, that they have to overcome in order to be together. And then... Um, I thought, well, all the options like have been explored, all the obstacles, you know, they, they've been done over and over again in various forms of romantic comedies. So like what what more could keep, you know, a couple from being together? And then I thought, oh, what if they can't touch? Um, so it, it went from a romantic comedy idea to a sci-fi, you know, a young adult <laughs> love story. Um, and by the way, I started writing this way before COVID, so about a year and a half before COVID. Uh, Ahead so, of your time. Yeah, so I, I, I'm a suitsayer. 
<laughs> apparently. <laughs> so you, the idea of not being able to touch each other came before you thought of making this an apocalyptic film. Yeah, well, I, I thought, okay, why can't they touch each other? Uh, well, it makes sense if they can't touch each other if there is a disease that is wiping out humanity. Um, and so then it, it just became a post-apocalyptic, you know, kind of story. Wow. You could have still made it a romantic comedy in that genre, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> that would have been interesting. Yeah, that would have been definitely genre bending. <laughs> Hopefully there are some funny moments in it that, you know, just out of the circumstances of the characters that people, you know, got a little bit of a chuckle from. Yeah, I definitely had some. <laughs> so developing this character, I mean, where does, uh, is she a part of you? I and mean, how does she uh, uh, approach the world? How did, where did this girl come from? Yeah, I think all writers, uh, when they're writing original, um, an original story with original characters, you know, there's a part of each character that is a part of me. So they, they all come from, obviously, the prism of my life and my experience. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it came from just being a teenager and being, you know, incredibly uh, bewildered at the world and what's happening around me and my body and the changes and all that stuff. And um, So when you developed Maya, this main character, this this uh, amazing character in this film, where did this idea come from? Is she a part of you? Yeah, I think all writers, um, when they're thinking about original stories and, and creating characters, you know, parts of those characters are going to come from them. Uh, and certainly, you know, we all have the prism of our experience, our, our, our life, um, and the way we view the world. And... Um, I had to kind of dig deep into my teenage years to to remember what that felt like. Uh, and, um, you know, sh she has an added difficulty of being in, you know, thinking that she's the only human left on the planet and then dealing with, you know, all the stuff you deal with as a teenager, but in this really um, unusual world and circumstance. You did an amazing job capturing the, her environment, like... Uh, really getting us to feel what it was like being in that world, having to discover things as a teenage girl, all on your own. It was really amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so the description you have of the environment as she's going through the stories is so detailed. It's so rich. And you can tell that each one has such an impact on the story at that moment. Um, what was it like creating that, making the environment itself a character in the story? Well, I think... Um I, every writer works a little bit differently. The way I work is that I um, spend a lot of time sort of living with the story and the characters in my head. And I, because I come from directing, I think, I see the film first before I write it. So I see each scene and then I just, it's almost like being a conduit, I guess. Uh, it comes through me and then out on the page. Um, and then, you know, my, my, my influences, you know, one of the writers that I really love is Stephen King. And I love how he creates, you know, environments uh, that are really rich uh, with, with uh, you know, very little prose. So he spends, uh, there's a economy of words. And so I try when I'm writing to think about the words that I'm using and use only as much as 
uh, I can to create the image and then also have the reader participate in the imaginary process. That's awesome. Um, I have to ask, because of the certain climate, the current climate we are right now with COVID, has today's atmosphere changed your perspective on this story? or And also, do you think this will that will affect the way readers hear this story? Yeah, I do. I, In fact, when COVID first hit and we all went into lockdown, uh, I was thinking, okay, this story is dead now. <laughs> no one's ever going to want to read or listen. Or more alive than ever. <laughs> <laughs> to a story that has to do with the pandemic because we're actually living through it. Uh, so that's not fun. I mean, it was much more fun to write it when it was just a hypothetical and, you know, something in my imagination and not something that I, you know, have felt on, you know, or we collectively have felt on our flesh, uh, the way it feels like to live through something like that. Um, and a lot of the elements, you know, were the same, you know, the d- fictional disease that I created was very uh, similar in the sense that although it was transmitted through touch, we still had the same, you know, protocols, <laughs> social distancing, the, the, you know, the staying away from other humans, like that was a part of our experience in 2020 and 2021, and hopefully not for 2022. Um, that remains to be seen. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was a little concerned that it would become completely irrelevant. Um, and, uh, Hopefully the audience uh, will, when they're listening to it, will think about their own experience with COVID and, um, you know, how it could possibly have been a lot worse. Yeah, I think one of the wonderful things about our current climate in relation to your production, your your film, is that we can relate even more to it now because of what she's going through. And hopefully this will hit home to a lot of listeners on another level. I hope so. I hope so. What do you ha- do? You have any uh, aspirations for this film in a perfect world? Where do you see this going? Oh yes, in a perfect world, I'd love to make it. Um, I feel like uh, you know, I feel like it it, it has uh, enough commercial elements so that it could uh, relate to a broad audience. Um, but you know, we'll see. You know, I, I I would love to make it one day. I almost a few times I almost felt like it wasn't. Um, it could have been an amazing animated film. Just the the emotion of it when you're when I was reading through, it's like wow, how much could you do if it was animated rather than live action? Both were probably an amazing story to tell. Yeah, it would certainly make the the dolls kind of coming to yeah. life a lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, if I did it live action, it'd have to all be CG dolls. <laughs> um, I do have another question. I just have to ask that I was thinking about while reading this movie. If you were going to do a sequel. What happens next? Like, where does my go from here? Did have you ever? Did you think about what would, how would she grow from here? Like, if you had to write a sequel. Yeah. So oddly enough, I do. I have thought of it, and I do have. Uh, so in in my mind, it's a trilogy, actually. So this wow. is part one of a trilogy. Um, you know, it 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 ends if you haven't listened to the podcast. Uh, this is a spoiler alert. So. If you haven't listened, stop right now and go back and listen. Go to back it first. and listen, yeah. <laughs> but if you have listened to it, you know it ends with them going off uh, to try and find other humans, and guess what? They might find some. Awesome. So there's, uh, I I have the arc of the three part uh, series in my head. That's great. 
Any zombie fights? Any? any? Uh, no. <laughs> Not that kind of movie. <laughs> no, I think zombies would be a bit much. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's enough to, like, you know, deal with, um, you know, the, the world being, you know, completely almost erased by human, you know, with no humans left. Yeah, it's one thing to try and raise yourself in a world like that. Imagine trying to raise a little girl in that world as well. It would be incredible. Right. And then, you know, and then watching those two characters, you know, going into early adulthood, you know, yeah. with all of the trauma and the, um, the, you know, strange experience of essentially being alone half their lives. It's amazing. So when you were developing this story, um, did you have a specific um, age range in mind where you want to tell the story for Maya? Um, did this come organically? Was there anything, any impetus to cr deciding to have it to be this stage of her life? Yes. Um, I was raising my own child um, and I, you know, the experience of being a parent, you um, is so incredible and you watch your kid become more and more independent. And I was thinking, um, you know, what? what is the age where you could possibly survive? Because if this had happened to her when she was younger, she would have been dead. Um, so I thought, okay, what's the age where, you know, she could be the youngest that I could possibly put her, but maybe she would be able to, to get through it? Uh, not without trials and tribulations, of course. Um, so that's what I was thinking. Um, and then I started imagining what it would feel like, what it would be like um, for this little girl that then became a preteen and then became a teen. Um, you know, what would that feel like? <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of where the age range. Um, and, and also I wanted, you know, I wanted her to be, um, discovering everything anew, right, as kids do, but with no guidance. Um, and, you know, to the experience, I wanted it to also end on some kind of note of hope, which is, you know, there's a, a new life that they are taking care of. So um, that was the idea behind the ages. It's great. You know, you think of movies where people are isolated, like Tom Hanks naming his volleyball Wilson, and you think he's losing his mind. It's really interesting that in your story, these dolls start to come to life, but because of her age, we don't ever think of her losing her mind. It's pure imagination. Yeah, but it is losing her mind a little bit. So, because she has no one to talk. I mean, she talks to the chickens, right. she talks to, you know, she talks to the tree, she talks, um, you know, but little children will do that by themselves. Um, but I think it does make you, I think to, to grow up like that would make you a little cuckoo. Yeah. I love the imagination part, though. It's just, it, it's wonderful to see her communicate with her dolls as if she would normally do in a normal life. Although this is obviously an extreme situation and the right. dolls talk back to her. Yeah. But it's cool to take that dynamic of a kid playing with their dolls and stick it in this environment. Right. It's just wonderful. Right. So these dolls that came to life were amazing. They had such distinct personalities for each one. Where did these ideas come from? Why did, how did you come about choosing the kind of people these dolls would be? Well, I just thought of the dolls that, are, that were available to me when I was a kid <laughs> and then assigned personalities to them. <laughs> um, 
You know, I did not play with dolls as a child. I was a total tomboy, and I had brothers, so I was much more interested in climbing trees and uh, playing sports and just, in general, being a boy. Um, but my friends played with dolls, and I saw them playing with dolls uh, the whole time. And so I guess it was just, I was just thinking about, you know, all the times that I saw you know, kids play with dolls and what was the most prevalent in my day. Uh, and that's that's what Maya got. Rock on. You said before you are a director. Um, what are you working on now? And where can we find you on social media so we can follow your career as it grows? Oh, uh, I'm at Zachareth, uh, Z-A-K-A-R-T-H. Um, I think across the media, social media spectrum, uh, I'm not huge on Twitter. I, I like Instagram because it's just images and I love pictures. Um, and I am always working on stuff. I uh, did, you know, my directing career, career has, I've done a lot of commercials, infomercials. I've done a lot of true crime shows. I, I do a, cool. direct a lot of reenactments, uh, mostly for Oxygen Network. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> I direct a lot of reenactments, uh, mostly for Oxygen Network, um, and I am uh, heading, hopefully, in the direction of narrative television and uh, more features. Um, you can check out a feature film that uh, I produced along with America Young, who is one of the co-producers of this podcast. Uh, called The Concessioneers Must Die. Um, we are available on all the streaming platforms. And the website is? CMD, uh, CMD the movie. So C like uh, cat, M like uh, Mary, D like dog, themovie.com. All right. Thank you, Zachy Rubenstein, for sharing this amazing work with us. Absolutely. This was so much fun. And if you guys liked it, Go check out the rest of the scripts we have available on our podcast, and uh, you will hear from us soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Undiscovered Scripts. Movies made of paper. You'll get a whole new script and a whole new story in next week's episode. For more information about this script, along with details of the cast and crew, please visit our website at moviesmadeofpaper.com. Get it for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.